In planning for the summer, um, we decided to obviously do the book of Psalms, and um, that's kind of what we've been working through. And it's really been kind of fun to watch um, how we really don't have a plan for that. I know that's kind of a constant theme sometimes around here is that we kind of don't have a plan. We kind of do. The plan is to kind of like have a semi-plan and then to kind of see how God works out his plan. Um, And we just want to be obedient to that, which was kind of cool. We just kind of shared through text messages of like, um, everybody kind of was like, hey, I want to preach on this psalm. I want to preach on this psalm. So we didn't overlap. The really fun thing to watch is how um, different people planning different things, how God's kind of like molded that into uh, several like common kind of themes that um, that are obviously uh, really important for God to teach us. And Josh mentioned last week, first of all, I want to tell you that uh, this is always weird for people to say, but God really used you last week. I know for me personally, um, in what you shared. And Josh stood up here and said, well, I don't really feel like I'm, what, equipped or adequate or experienced enough to share. And, and, I, and I would say um, every time that I teach, that's kind of, it's the same deal. So um, whatever, Josh, right? Join the club, Okay. Uh, any of us that stand up here, I mean, we're, we're trying to live the life just like um, hopefully all of us in this room are trying to live that life, uh, which is a daily um, battle between that flesh and spirit going on in our lives of what it means to submit and to, to walk in Christ. And, um, you know, daily in our lives, um, there's darkness all around us. And down, sometimes it's downright like suffocating um, you know, we see news stories after news stories, reports of like evil acts, uh, vicious attacks, um, disastrous weather, alarming statistics, uh, devastating, heartbreaking stories that leave us wondering a lot of times, like what in this world is going on and how much worse could it get in this world, right, before, um, you know, it's, it's all over. And I think that hearing about this darkness in the world is one thing. And you're seeing it on the news, hearing it on the radio, or talking to somebody else that's experiencing it is one thing. But having it come right up close to us and right in our lives in front of us personally, um, I think puts it on a whole different level. Um, And we can experience this in different ways, like maybe getting a distressing diagnosis from a doctor, um, maybe losing a loved one um, or losing a job, uh, maybe watching a child that we know and love go through horrific circumstances. Maybe it's watching our own children or other family members make decisions that we know are going to bring destruction and heartache. Um, Maybe it's getting bills in the mail that we really have absolutely no idea of how we're going to pay for these bills. Or dealing with things like abuse, addiction, depression, maybe even suicidal thoughts on our own, or watching someone else that we love dearly deal with those issues. Maybe it's watching our children or the loved ones pull out of the driveway, knowing that there's car accidents happening every day. How many of you parents out there that have had kids drive remember the first time that your kids pulled out of the driveway on their own? Maybe it's dealing with devastation of natural disasters like the tornadoes that we've had in our area in the recent month um, and watching that happen. So, so darkness is all around us, and it's really evidence of the corruption that's been present in the world Um, since the first sin. And we see it in things like the evil and the hurtful things that people say to each other, or in the things I just mentioned, like things that deal with finances, or things that deal with sickness, or addiction, or, or natural disasters. But one thing that we ignore some of the times when it comes to that darkness um, is the idols that we've actually set up in our own lives that we kind of focus our attention on. And Brian preached on those a couple months ago, um, on the four idols that, um, that, we, kind of, that we kind of get um, messed up by creating in our lives of comfort and power and control and approval uh, of creating those things. Um, and our natural reaction, I think, whenever darkness comes in our way, um, in some of the ways that we've just talked about, is it creates fear, um, it creates worry, um, it creates anxiety, maybe also like feelings of just being like flat out overwhelmed with with what's going on in your life. And, and I think sometimes in our culture, you know, unfortunately, we're on information overload. Um, we have social media that contributes greatly to the rise in that fear and anxiety because we know what's going on everywhere. 
We know what's going on with everyone. Um, there's a book called Anxiety Free, written by psychologist Dr. Robert Leahy. And he shares, get this, this is, this is crazy. The average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as an average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Okay? And that's just kids. We, and we as adults are struggling with that same, um, same you know, rise in anxiety levels. Um, and experts, have, experts actually um, know that when fear strikes us, that um, we kind of go to that part of the brain that actually is just survival mode. Um, and while we're there, there's two things that happen. We either attempt to like run away from those fears and those anxieties. That would be like the flight deal, like I just want to get away from it. Or we go into fight mode. So it's either flight or it's either fight. We're going to deal with it one of those two different ways. Um, but both ways are dealt with in a part of the brain that doesn't use critical thinking or reasoning. It's just about surviving. And if we stay in that part of the brain um, and we don't separate the facts that we know to be true in our lives and the fears that are all around us, um, then a lot of times that's when the what ifs, like what if this happens, what if this happens, that's when they just kind of like come like raging into our lives like lions, right? To where we just can't get those things out of our minds. So, you know, when, when I was asked like what psalm I wanted to preach on, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, I didn't really know. Stephanie was like, hey, what are you thinking for your psalm? And um, Jana made these signs uh, for some people. Shout out to Jana. Um, Jana made this sign that in, our, in our house that hangs and has Psalm chapter 27 in it. And I literally was sitting on a couch and I looked up at that sign and I said, how about Psalm 27? And I kind of knew what it was about. I mean, I did know what it was about. But, and um, the interesting thing to me, for me personally with this message is that um, we're talking about fear and anxiety today, obviously. And I would have probably categorized myself as a person that didn't really struggle with fear and anxiety. Like, you know, oh, um, I probably have misconceptions toward that, you know, about, you know, the just man up, you know, and, you know, I just get through it. I don't really fear anything. I'm not really worried about things, um, which for me personally is rooted in the lie that I believe, those false idols that we set up. Um, mine is definitely a control issue. So I do, what, what God's really taught me over this last couple of weeks is, I deal with fear and anxiety as much as anybody else deals with fear and anxiety, but it looks different because what I do is, is, you know, I don't really talk about it a lot. I don't like seek help from other people when I feel in that way. Instead, remember that fight mode we just talked about, right? Flight or fight. Well, I go into like extreme fight mode, right? You know what I'm talking about? My video game people know what I'm talking about, like extreme fight mode. Like, like I'm ready, I mean, I'm ready to battle because... I literally believe a lie that um, I got this, right? Like when I'm really, I'm, I'm really, there is fear there, but I'm just failing to recognize it because I, I'm thinking I got control of it and I can just push my way through it and I can just fight it and I can just get through it. And you can ask members of my family, so when I'm dealing in a situation where there's fear and anxiety, um, it's probably pretty ugly around our house if you're not me, right? Because I'm in fight mode. I'm in control mode. And the more I feel like I have control, then I don't have to really focus on the fact that I'm really living in fear about something that's going on in my life. So this is a challenge that we all have in one degree or another, right? Like I said, two weeks ago, I would have said, I don't really deal with fear. Um, but yet I really do. And we're all in different places all over the spectrum. And that depends on like who we are, our personalities, how we were raised, the struggles that we naturally just have in our lives. And for some of us, like traumatic things in our lives that we maybe have been through. And for other people, it's not even like a spiritual issue of fear. It's a literal physical issue in their body. And thank goodness we've had like doctors and scientists who have created like, you know, medications and therapies to help people who are dealing with physical issues um, in their body where they're dealing with fear and anxiety. And I, I don't want to discount that, the need for those things at all today because those things are needed. Um, but I do believe that there's a truth. There's a truth out there for each and every one of us 
that can help us navigate through the world as far as dealing with a lot of the things that we deal with when it comes to being fearful um, or being anxious. Um, And the one truth that we're going to see today is that no matter what, um, we're living on this earth and we are going to be confronted with darkness, those things that we talked about, those situations that come into our lives that we're not prepared for. Um, And they're impossible to avoid. Um, They're going to happen. And in those situations, fear and anxiety is going to knock on our door. It's going to knock on our door. That's a given. The question is, how are we going to react to it? Because the darkness may not change. Problems are going to be in our lives. Um, But our prayer is that the word of God um, will actually weigh heavy on our hearts and that that fear, um, toward that fear, and that our reaction, our response to it will change. I took a class a couple years ago, and in this class, they were talking about like how to deal with, you know, situations as far as like coaching and teaching. And they shared a philosophy that Urban Meyer, um, who was coaching for Ohio State at that time, that he used with his players. And it's in his book, if you ever read it. He's got a book on like how to motivate and how to deal with kids. And his philosophy, it wasn't really his. He kind of stole it from other people. I don't know who invented this concept, but he was using it, and I think it was pretty effective. And it was called E, we'll put it on the screen, it's called E plus R equals O. And the theory is, is that we have events in our lives, and those events happen regardless of what's going on, and very rarely do we have any kind of control over those events. However, the R is the response to those events, which I do have control over. How I respond to that event that I have no control over in my life determines the outcome. It determines the outcome. And what we typically do, what I typically do, maybe not you, but I typically focus way more attention on the event whenever I'm in the middle of dealing with it instead of dealing with the response to that event. And what for me, what happens is that actually pulls me in the wrong direction. It's the wrong focus. So when we focus on our response to situations in life that deal with darkness, then the outcome looks very different. Um, than when we focus on just the event going on in our life. As followers of Jesus, we are not called to live lives without problems. That We can read scripture. Nowhere in the Bible, matter of fact, over and over and over, we'll look at a couple today, it's going to tell us we are not called to live a life without problems. It'd be nice on one hand. On the other hand, we wouldn't have to rely on God or anything that he's done for us in our lives. But we are called in the Bible over and over and over to live a life without fear, without being afraid. We see this in Isaiah chapter 41, where it says, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see the words of Jesus over and over affirming again that we are called to live a life without fear. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Later on in John, Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In the words of Christ, we are going to have problems. However, we are called to not fear. In the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8, we read, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So today what we're going to focus in on is David. In Psalm chapter 27, uh, David is in a situation where he has fears. He has anxieties. Um, if we read about David's life, you know, he's had lots of different things happen to him. And it's hard to exactly pinpoint when in his life he wrote Psalm 27. But we know that there was a long span of David's life where King Saul's actually trying to kill him. He's hunting him down. David's on the run. And he's probably very anxious or very fearful about what's going on in his life because he is not in control of the situation. So today what we're going to do is we're going to focus in on just verses 1 through 6 of Psalm chapter 27. 
and what it teaches us about how to deal, to deal with fear. Um, and then next week, I'm actually up again. And we're going to finish it up with um, verses 7 through 14. So let's look at Psalm chapter 27, verses, start out with just verses 1 through 3. The Word of God reads this way. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord, doesn't that just make you want to be like, yes. You know what I mean? Like, you know. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foe, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. If you're familiar familiar with the group Casting Crowns, they're they're a band. They have a song called Oh My Soul. And one of the lines in the song says, there's a place where fear has to face the God you know. And in this particular, in these first three verses, we see David's fears clearly face the God he knows. And who is the God he knows? He tells us in these first set of verses. The way that he combats fear is because he knows first and foremost that God is his light. That means that God shows him where to go and leads him in the right direction. It also means that God reveals truth to him. To know what is fact, what is truth, to separate that from the fears that are in his face. We also see in these verses that David acknowledges that God is his salvation. That he saves him from evildoers, from adversaries, from foes. That he saves him from armies encamped against him and wars that rise up against him. And these could be physical altercations in our lives, right? Where we're actually, people are combative against us and we're dealing with situations. Or maybe sometimes it's dealing with internal things that are battling for our time and our attention or in spiritual battles. For us as believers of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ today, here's the beautiful thing is a foundation of life of fear um, is what the gospel is all about. We have nothing to fear because God's taken care of everything by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And I want to read this. um, How do we know that? Isaiah chapter 43 reads, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. In 1 John, we we read, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And what is perfect love? Perfect love is your willingness to put down your life for someone else, which God did for us himself through the person of Jesus Christ. There's a quote from Desiring God that puts it this way. You can read it on the screen behind me. To be a believer in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins is to be saved from God's wrath and destruction. Through faith in Christ, that threat has been cast aside forever. For us as believers, the biggest, scariest, most intimidating, longest-lasting terror, so the thing in our life that would create the most fear, has turned away, I'm sorry, has been turned away and destroyed. The crisis has been averted. The distress has passed. The guilt removed. The execution canceled. The God of the universe satisfied and vindicated. So we no longer need to fear. Because we know what God has done through the person of Jesus Christ to really save us. The other thing that David mentions in these first three verses is that God is his light, that God is his salvation, and that God is the stronghold of his life. A place that's fortified as if to to protect against enemy attacks. A place of security and survival. We can assume in our lives that there's going to be enemies, there's going to be people against us, uh, whether they're in form of maybe people, spiritual beings, sickness, or even those idle things that I mentioned with control and comfort. 
Um, and a lot of times these things are created by our own sinful desires, that whole comfort and control and the power. And we know these things are going to exist. But as children of God, we know that God loves us, that he protects us, and that this is unmovable and unshakable. It's done. It's eternal and everlasting. He is our stronghold, as David says, and he fulfills what every good dad, what every good dad really wants for his kids, right? Now, David here, obviously in these first three verses, is focusing, um, he sees way more than his circumstances. He's not focusing on his circumstances at all. He sees something that gives him comfort for him to be able to write these words. He sees something that gives him confidence. Um, even though there's a pretty good chance that there's something going on in his life that has the possibility of not turning out very good. Um, but he sees beyond the threats in front of him and looks to God to be able to protect um, him because God has promised, as we've read in Scripture, to protect us. David, David is able to sacrifice the facts that he has in his life, the things that he knows to be true from Scripture about who God is, and actually separate those from the actual fears that I'm sure that he's feeling. We don't want to put David like up on a pestle and say, like, oh, look at him. He can just focus on God, and he's not dealing with any fears or anxiety. My, my, my guess is, just like us, there's a battle going on here. There, there's a battle going on here, but he's choosing to not focus on the fears, but to focus on the things that he knows to be true. So according to David... According to David's example here in Scripture, what do I want my responses to be when adversaries come against me and rise up against me? Straight from the words of David, I want my heart to not fear, and I want to be confident. And where does that confidence come from? It comes from promises in Scripture over and over and over. And the example of sending Christ to die for me, of how much God loves me and how much he'll take care of me. As I said earlier, we are definitely called to live a life that is, um, that's going to have problems in it. We are not, um, we're not going to avoid the problems in life. However, we are called to live a life without fear. Now, when fears do come, this doesn't mean that they're not real um, because they're going to surface. And the feeling of fear is normal. Um, it's necessary at times, isn't it? I mean, think about how many times fear like saves us, right? Where we we go into fight or flight mode because there's maybe danger, right? And um, we actually need fear. I mean, it's here for a reason. Um, it's, a, it's a thing that, 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 that protects us a lot of times. However, the problem is, is whenever it's um, when I'm living in a state of fear, when it is the only state that I'm actually in, and it's not just a single emotion to get me out of danger, but I've decided to kind of reside in this to where day after day I just live in a constant state of fear, um, that's whenever we experience the negative effects of fear. What does it mean? Um, that is, what does this mean as Christians? Um, we are armed with the truth to combat the fear. Um, we've been equipped with the power to defeat these fears and to push them back. Um, and we know who God is and what it means to be his child. And we have a promise. I mean, Paul says in 2 Timothy, for God did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So that's the first three verses. What's David do? In the middle of fear, he keys in on who God is. Who God is. My light, my salvation, my stronghold. Let's move to verses 4 through 6. Verses 4 through 6 we read. David continue. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the days of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon the rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy I will sing and make melody to the Lord. David's life, like we said, is probably going pretty well until the king wants to kill you, right? And sends out people to search you and hunt you down. 
you would think in David's situation, I don't know about you, but if I'm praying to God and I'm saying, there's one thing that I want, right? What would that thing probably be? I'd probably be like, there's this guy named Saul, right, God? The one thing I really kind of want is, could, could you take care of him? You know what I mean? Could you, could you kind of like eliminate him from the situation so I don't really have to be afraid and, and anxious about this? But David doesn't pray that, does he? Right? He doesn't say that. His request to God is not that his circumstances change, even though I'm sure he would like them to. He doesn't plead with God to rescue from his situation, right? You don't get the sense that he's like begging God to take him out of the situation. His one request is that he might always enjoy intimate friendship with God and that he might spend as much time as possible in the presence of the Lord. I don't know about you, but that kind of makes me feel a little bit guilty because I don't react that way enough, right? Is that my one request? The thing that David is asking for is really what? So simple, yet so profound. David's response to the stressful event going on in his life is he wants to worship, right? And Josh mentioned this last week. So I said, I text him, I'm like, dude, you said it on the T. You know what I mean? Um, he wants to worship. He wants to recognize, he knows what God's done for him. We talked last week about, you know, grace recognized, right, and worship and realizing what God has done for us. That doesn't have to be his response, right? But it's definitely going to determine the outcome of the situation. Kyle Eidelman has a quote. It says this, Worship and worry can't coexist. One drives out the other. Can't have both. In verse 4, what do we see? We see David acknowledge God for who he is, and it expresses a desire to be close to him. In the NIV translation of this, David would say, This only do I seek. The one thing that I want is that I can dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David goes on, in Psalm, um, in, back in Psalm chapter 16, David says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David knows, right? He knows what's important. And he, and he acknowledges that in understanding that to be in the presence of God, to experience true joy in realizing the grace of his love and how much he loves us is really where it's at. Now, in order to do this, in order to say these words, David has to humble himself um, before God. And what is the opposite of humility? Obviously, it's pride. So he has to kind of put his selfish pride aside. And, and I don't know about you, but for me, that, that's the tough one here, is the pride. Like, if, if somebody's like, hey, Kevin, you know, what do you struggle with the most? I'd say, well, I struggle with, con I, get, I mean, like the list is really long, but I'd be like, definitely control. And a lot of times that control is rooted in like not wanting to fear something and also in being arrogant and, and being like full of pride and not wanting to admit certain things in my life and believe that I can just accomplish them on my own. Um, but pride, we're going to see here, brings all kinds of fears and anxieties in. And the one way that David can step back and kind of let those fears and anxieties go is he humbles himself before God. Now, what is pride? Um, biblically, um, it's not just, I always think arrogance, right? Like being full of yourself, you know, being cocky and arrogant. But really, pride is just over-centering oneself, putting myself in the center of everything. When it's all about me, that's pride. I can maybe not even act arrogant, but if I still think everything should kind of revolve around me, right? It's still pride is the root of that. The more self-centered I become, the more I focus on my pleasures, on my desires, on my comfort. If I'm suffering, it's about my suffering. On my acceptance by other people, on my control. The more I focus on these things, the more anxious and the more fearful that I'll actually become. And there's a direct connection here between, I mean, look at the age that we're living in with social media especially, right? And we always talk about kids on social media. I'm telling you right now, adults are worse than kids in a lot of cases. But what's the root of social media? Self-centeredness, right? It's all about, here's what's going on in my life, right? 
Everybody needs to know what flavor of syrup I ate on my pancakes this morning, right? I mean, it's all, and so we're living in this culture where everything is so self-centered, which creates this sense of pride in our lives, which makes it very hard to humble ourselves before God. And I think that's where we get a lot of these fears and anxieties from social media, is because it's all focused, all the attention is focused on ourselves. Pride brings about fear and anxiety of all different kinds. What are some examples of that? Well, um, pride refuses to ask for help. If you're full of pride, you're going to ask for help. So what could that create? Feelings of being anxious about being alone, right? And if you're, not, if you're not in relationship with people asking help, getting help, you might feel alone. Pride has control issues and makes me feel critical. So I feel anxious when somebody or something doesn't do um, what I think's best. Pride makes me maybe defensive. So I feel anxious when I'm criticized, right? I mean... There's another one on my list, right? I get, when somebody criticizes me, it's like I go into like fight pride mode, you know what I mean? And, and I get very defensive, and that's all rooted um, in this. Pride can make me stubborn so that I feel anxious when somebody doesn't agree with me. So pride is very destructive, and pride is a key ingredient in a lot of the fears and the anxieties that we actually probably experience. First Peter chapter 5 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So you can cast your anxieties and your fears on God, but notice what comes first. Humble yourself. Put God first and realize that there's so many truths that we know about him, it kind of puts the fear into perspective. Now, in verse 5, we see um, David acknowledge the need for God's protection and his strength, that he can't do things on his own. I'm going to quote Josh from last week here. Okay, Josh said, God said through Josh, self-sufficiency is the number one hindrance to our worship of God because we don't worship something we think we don't need. Right? What does David do here right away? He acknowledges the fact that he needs God, that he needs God. In verse 6, we see David say, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And he's going to, his head's going to be lifted up, and he is going to sing, and he's going to shout with joy. And again, let's go back to last week and what is joy. Grace recognized acknowledging what God has done for us. When we look up or we gaze upon God, right, the beauty of the Lord, um, and we sing sh with shouts of joy, um, are we able to focus on the problems below? I mean, think about just the physiology of the body, right? Like, we have good peripheral vision, correct? Right? I mean, I can see, like, the whole room kind of right here. But as far as my head being lifted up, if I lift my head, you know, can I see my feet? Like we, our peripheral vision, right, we have lots of vision this way. We're very limited when it comes to up and down. So if I allow, if God lifts my head, right, then the focus on all the stuff below that's going on in my life, I physically can't focus on those things. It's actually not even possible. And research actually confirms this, that our brains, our worldview, what's going on in the world, how we perceive the world actually is directly linked to what we pay attention to, right? Uh, for me personally, I'm going to tell you right now, if I start focusing on the news, and I watch the news all the time, and I maybe listen to a little talk radio, right? Does my worldview change? Actually, Stephanie sometimes will be like, have you been listening to talk radio? Because I'm kind of like this, right? Like, I'm like ready to fight, you know what I mean? I'm like combative, like I'm like, let's get in this political discussion. But so much of our worldview is focused on what we're paying attention to. So if, I'm, if, if, I, if my focus is on the Lord, right, then it takes the focus off of the other stuff, which definitely changes my view. If we focus on the darkness in front of us, um, we can be overcome by it. We can be overcome by the what-ifs. However, whenever I look up and I focus on God, um, I'll be able to separate 
what I know to be true about God and what fear is trying to teach, you know, speak to me that's actually a lie. Um, and I think whenever we focus on God, we're reminded, and if we, if we look back at verses 5 and 6, we're reminded of what God's going to do here. He's going to hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He's going to conceal me under the cover of his tent. He's going to lift me high upon a rock, and he's going to lift my head above my enemies all around me. The facts and circumstances may change, but guess what? They may not change, and a lot of times they don't. But when my focus changes, my fear dissipates. There's that E plus R equals O again, right? Those events in my life aren't going to change, but if my focus changes, and that's my response, then it definitely changes the outcome in my life. Doesn't happen naturally, though, does it? Um, and it's easy even in high moments. If we could read through the Psalms and see how, like, one minute David's here, right? And the next minute, what is he? He's down here again. Um, but we have to be intentional about it. Um, and this is kind of the application piece. Like, so what I do with this? Like, how do I focus more, like, on God and the truths that I know about him? And I think that comes to us in several different ways. One is... Um, Maybe, it's, maybe you're the kind of person that needs to find like songs or verses or like prayers or things that you can like read to encourage yourself with. Um, maybe it's things you actually sing um, or that you say uh, that drive back the fear. Maybe it's um, staying in community with other people, with other believers where uh, we can hold each other up and speak truth to each other whenever we know um, that someone's dealing with fear and starting to believe lies. Um, we've had, um, in, in Steph's family, her sister-in-law was recently diagnosed with breast cancer and she's 52 years old, I think. And it's aggressive. Um, she had surgery a couple weeks ago and then went back to the doctor and they said that, um, they were moving up her treatment dates because it is aggressive and they're kind of worried. And, and we've kind of watched, this is one of the beauties of social media, actually. I didn't want to be like an anti-social media person, but We've watched her share like songs, like she'll be like, listen to this song this morning, it really spoke to me. And she's sharing all kinds of this stuff and it's very obvious of she's intentionally putting her focus on God through things like songs and videos and text messages and words of encouragement from other people and other stories. Um, now, is she worried? Is she, is she, is, does she probably have some anxiety and some fear? Oh my gosh, I'm sure she does. But I've watched her live out where she's focusing her attention on other things that, that matter and, the, and that bring her closer to God instead of focusing on her fears. So what should my plan of action be when fear knocks at my door and I'm tempted to be brought down by the darkness that's all around us? I need to remember who God is and what it means to be his child. I need to make my main request to dwell in his house all the days of my life. I need to keep my eyes focused on him and his promises, separating the facts or the truth that I know to be true about him from my fears. And I need to worship him with all of my being, offer him sacrifices with shouts of joy, and as David said, to make melody to him. Now, last week, Randy came up and shared that to make melody, right, you don't, it doesn't always have to be about singing, correct? Um, that it could be about things that we're just doing in life that actually draw us closer to God, and that God is a way bigger God um, to be worshiped than just singing. But it's really in everything that we're doing in our lives, and um, that made me think there's a the, the casting, where it's a casting crowns day, I guess, kind of. Uh, they have a song called Life Song, and here's the verse. Here's the chorus. Lord, I give my life a living sacrifice to reach a world in need to be your hands and feet. So may the words I say and the things I do make my life song sing, bring a smile to you, let my life song sing to you. It's not just about what I'm singing. It's about what I'm doing. For me, um, I think, so... Last week, I got up before church, and I decided I was going to go get gas, right? So I go to Kroger gas station because I'm like a gift card weirdo, 
You know what I mean? Like I have this strategy for getting a dollar off a gallon like every time I get gas. Okay? And for me, you, who are my Kroger people? Come on. Yeah, all right. So, so for me, the challenge is, because it's all about like control. Remember, I, the control's the issue, right? So for me, the challenge is I never want to get gas and not use the full 35 gallons. Because, right? You, you could get 30, Those of you that don't get Kroger gas, you don't know what you're missing out on, but you could get up to 35 gallons of gas for a dollar off. So, so I'm like, we drive like four cars down there, right? Even if one car needs like three gallons of gas, it doesn't matter. We're using all $35. So I have a bunch of fuel points because it's a long story. And I knew I was going to be losing them. And so I drove Stephanie's car down there um, with my little side can as well to load up on some extra gas. And um, I'm getting gas. And I know it's driving me nuts. I know I'm only going to use about 25 gallons. So I'm like, man, Kroger just saved $10. You know what I mean? I mean, so I'm pumping up my gas, and this car pulls in just, you know, on the other side of the pump by me. And, you know, I can kind of hear when it pulls in. It's not a newer car. And, like, you know when you just know right away what you're supposed to do? So, like, I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, I need to give that woman $10 worth of gas. And then you're kind of like, okay, is she going to think I'm nuts? Right? I mean, it's kind of creepy. What if she's filling up her car, and she doesn't even need the $10? So I kind of stalked her a little bit, like she went up to get her gas at the pump, you know, she went up to the teller, and I was like listening, and I heard her say like, give me five dollars on pump three, and I was like, oh, she's only getting five dollars, so, you know, that means, well, I'm sorry, but when I only get five dollars of gas, it means I don't have any money, right? So she comes back, long story short, I kind of peeped around the thing, and I said, hey, ma'am, I said, she's maybe like uh, 30 years old, and I said, uh, I got 10 extra gallons of gas for a dollar off, and I don't want to give it back to Kroger. I was like, can I put 10 gallons of gas in your car? And here was the first response on her part, right? It wasn't like, oh, yes, thank you. You're the nicest person, which that's not what I did anyway. She says, thank you, Jesus. And so then we kind of struck up a conversation, right? And she, she was just gotten married. They had a little kid. They had just moved. And, and times have been kind of rough and tough. And, um, and I said, well, I was kind of listening, and I heard you only say you were getting five gallons, so I figured I could, you know, sneak in 10 gallons. And I said, I'm sorry that I don't have more, you know, than that. And she said, no, you have no idea. She said, God just comes through in times whenever we need him because I really didn't even know how I was going to make it the rest of the week on the gas that I was putting in the car today. So it was interesting because then I came to church, right, and we sang songs. And I really felt like that I worshipped in the Kroger fuel station. You know what I mean? It wasn't about me. It wasn't about $10, 10 gallons of gas and giving her that. It just was realizing that uh, God was glorified through that. And we never even talked about it being like, it wasn't a hand. I mean, she totally acknowledged the fact that God was in control of the situation and that that's why it had happened, which for me was just, I don't, you know, it just, it was an incredible uh, feeling that I was thankful for that God had taught me. So if I would have went over to her and said, hey, you know what? Um, I was thinking about worshiping today here at Crow Gas Station. Can we break out in a couple worship songs, right? She would have probably left. And if she would have heard me start singing those worship songs, she would have really left because it would have been bad. Because sing, I, don't sing, I, mean, I don't sing well. I sing, but it's not good. But we all have areas in our lives, I think, if we're obedient, where we can worship God, where we can draw our attention to Him in worship of Him, and it's not about singing, but it's in about the way that we're living our lives. If we read on in Psalms chapter 24, we see um, David tells us that when we seek God, that we won't necessarily, that He's not going to take away our circumstances but that he will deliver us from our fears. Psalm chapter 34, verse 4, David says, notice this is after Psalm 27, right? I've, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Right? I mean, there, there's our answer to what's happening by David focusing on God and who he is, right? And saying, the only thing that I want is I want to be with you, right? I want to live life for you. 
we see verses later, David say, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from my fears. So, is that the answer? I just seek the Lord. He answers me and delivers me from my fears. If it is, to me, it seems a little idealistic, doesn't it? A little maybe naive, cliche, right? I'll just, just seek the Lord, right? He'll answer you and he'll deliver you from anything that you fear. What if, do I say that to somebody that's dealing with something that's like serious, like very traumatic, a traumatic situation? Can it be that simple? What if the answer is yes? Hmm? What if the answer is yes? What if he does bring a true, deep peace when we humble ourselves before him, when we worship him, and we declare our total dependence on God? Like exercise, healthy eating, proper sleep, right? Anybody struggle with any of those? All those things require discipline, don't they? Because they're not easy. So fighting fear with worship and surrender takes that same sort of discipline. There's no quick fix. Um, It's an ongoing attitude of surrender, of trust, and of faithfulness. Even when the path is unclear and the desert feels extremely dry, right? Again, those events, right? We can't change them, and they can't dictate our response. For David, this is not a one-time deal. He is repeatedly put in life-threatening situations and overwhelming circumstances. Um, Over and over, he's honest with God about his fears and his feelings of sorrow. Sometimes he even says he feels like God's abandoned him. However, he continues to simply, to simply seek the Lord, to worship him, and trust that God will answer. And as David said, what, and, and David said what? God delivered him from all of his fears. So, as believers, we are not called to live a life without problems. We are called to live a life without fear. Um, but this cannot and will never be accomplished on our own. When we try to carry the weight of our fear and anxiety on our own, we end up tired, right? We end up stressed out. We end up defeated. We end up overwhelmed. In my case, we end up arrogant and not treating people very well. But when we trust God to carry it for us, we can have the freedom and the peace that we, do, that we desperately desire. Now, for my people that like grew up kind of around in the 1980s, right? A great illustration of this, and I thought about whipping out the old footprints, uh, footprints poem. You guys remember that? Come on, everybody's grandma, right, had like, a, like an 8 by 10 in the bathroom of the footprints, you know? Who carried you? There's only one set of prints. So I'm like, you know, that's what it is. But I'm not going to read that. Instead, I was going to share a story uh, from a sermon from uh, Kyle Item, and he's a pastor down in Louisville. And... Um, a story about really what it means uh, to be carried uh, by God. But since the story's about um, him and his son, it's a father-son story, and that's really what we're in, right? That's what we're in relationship here. We have a father. Um, I thought it would be best if he told it. So bear with us here, and we're going to try to show a video just last a couple minutes of what does it really mean uh, for God to carry us through these situations. I I, uh, had this moment as a father where this verse really just uh, came to life for me. I I told you about this, I don't know, maybe three or four years ago, but it happened when my now 13-year-old son was four, and uh, he was at this place in life where he just wanted to constantly show us how strong he was and carry his own weight. And uh, we'd been on this trip as a family, traveling, driving through the night. We stopped at a hotel in in the middle of the night for a few hours of sleep. And uh, my girls, my wife and three daughters, they went in 
I grabbed a couple of bags, uh, just enough for the night, out of the back of the trunk, and, and, and my son came around the back to get his bag, my four-year-old boy, and he wanted to carry his bag in, wanted to do it himself, so I, I take it and, and hand it to him, and he puts it on his shoulder and just almost pulls him to the ground. He's half asleep, and, and I said, come on, bro, let's go. We start walking towards the hotel, and I realize he's not with me. I, I see him, he's just standing there, just half asleep. I go back and say, hey, buddy, can I... Can I carry that for you? Nods his head, yes. I grabbed the bag, put it over my shoulder. Walking back towards the hotel. He's still not with me. <laughs> I, I, I see him standing there and I, I say, hey, you want me to carry you too? <laughs> Scoop him up in my arm. Got his bag, suitcase. Loving it. Loving it. Missed those days. Don't get to do that much anymore. I, as a dad, I, I care about that kid. I'm happy to carry his weight. I'm happy to carry him too. And maybe God has brought you here this morning because that's what you need to hear from him. Maybe that's what he would say to you is, can I get that for you? I saw you wheel that in here. It looks pretty heavy. You've been carrying that for a while. Can I, can I carry that for you? And if you need me to, I can carry you as well. He'd be happy to do that. Let's pray. So like Kyle mentions, that same God that uh, created the universe, Right? when we're dealing with fear and anxiety, wants us to focus our attention on him and to let us uh, carry, you know, to let him carry us through those situations. And um, if you, that's what it's about. It's about that father relationship. That's what a good dad wants to do, and God is a good dad. So if uh, you don't know God as your father, um, that's what he wants to do for you. If you do know God as your father, then we need to intentionally remind ourselves constantly of what kind of a daddy is and to be able to trust him um, and focus on him instead of the things that bring fear and anxiety in our lives. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you for uh, your word today. We thank you for um, the person of David and that David wasn't a perfect man. And we're thankful that we have clear um, examples in his life where he struggled with the same kind of things that we struggle with on a daily basis. And um, we, like David, don't ask that you would take those things away. Um, we ask that you would do what you want to do. We ask that you would teach us through circumstances and that when we're dealing with something where we're feeling fearful or anxious or overwhelmed or scared about school about work, about relationships, anything in our lives, that we would really realize that it is as simple as focusing our attention on you as creator of the universe and spending time with you and allowing you to work in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.